All right. So my name is Sarah, and uh, it's crazy being in this room because I have a lot of memories here, and I'll also be 101. I have many memories around this whole campus. I was with Nimeas about four years before I was taken away to do other things. And uh, my last semester, I was back here. And the funny thing is, I don't know why I want to share this, but um, Joe Pink, do you remember your, your semester? It was your first large group was here. And this guy, who is your staff now, was wearing this bright orange University of Miami shirt. He was sitting the way back. And Pastor Aaron, who is the head pastor of our New Philadelphia church, but who used to be the director then, calls, her, calls him out. I was like, hey, I want to pr- pray over you. And he rolls his eyes. He, was, he, like, rolled it so hard that you could feel it, you know? And he's like, No whatever right and then she goes don't you roll your eyes at me and he goes, oh i'm sorry and then he came up and you know he was a different man after that but i don't know why i'm sharing that but i just want to let you guys know when you guys are sitting here you guys are sitting in places of years of history i know you guys come in semester by semester or some of you guys are here longer on long term what happened to your leg oh okay We'll pray for you later. Um, sorry, I got distracted. Anyways, we're, we're the place that you guys are sitting right here, you guys are sitting in seats of years of history. Um, downstairs, B101, that's even longer history. Um, and so I cannot be more excited to preach here. Um, love Yonsei. Yonsei is like my home, home campus, right? Like my home team. All right, so I've been asking Tina and Pastor David, who you know I work with at the office, how is Yonsei this semester? And actually, to be honest, I didn't really ask. They just say it, right? Because they are so zealous and they're so excited about this semester particularly. And the first thing Pastor David said after the first large group is that they are special. They are hungry. I was like, oh, they're hungry, are they? And a couple weeks later, I asked Tina, same thing. They're hungry. They're ready. They're, re- they're ready for something. I was like, oh, are they really? And... I was supposed to actually preach a month ago, but something happened. I got to switch over, and this is so I'm preaching now. And who's going to the churchwide retreat, the New Philly churchwide? All right, here we go. Okay, don't feel left out. I'm going to include everybody, but I just want to know. Um, and so I'm preaching to you guys before the churchwide retreat, and so you guys are hungry, so Tina says. You guys are ready, so Tina says. So I'm not going to give you a fluffy word, is what I'm saying. I came here with the word to challenge you guys to get your butts out of the chair, right? And to move in a direction where God has called you, okay? Now, when you hear, like, oh, it's going to be a challenging word, you're like, oh, snap. Right? I don't want to hear that. One time, this uh, preacher came from uh, another big church, and he spoke to the leadership, and he said, do not be offended by God. Be unoffendable towards God. Because what he has for you, you will never understand. And everybody was like, that's so beautiful. But my thought was, oh, oh, something's going to get offended very soon. I'm going to get offended very soon. I kid you not, one month later, I went through the hardest season of my life. Because when you preach something, especially to a crowd that's ready, you know that the word that you preach, it's going to go somewhere, right? So everybody say, amen, let's go. All I heard was, amen, let's go. All right, here we go. Everybody turn your Bibles to Matthew 14, uh, verses 12. All right. I'm just going to read the whole thing. Just follow along with me. Everybody ready? Chapter 14, verse 12. 
Now, when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowd heard it, crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the village and buy food for and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to them, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass and take the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And he took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces left, left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Amen. Now, um, this is a pretty familiar passage to almost everybody, I'm guessing, right? Jesus feeds the 5,000. This is actually the only miracle that Jesus did that's seen in all four of the Gospels. Okay, so it's seen in Matthew 14, Mark 8, Luke 9, John 6. It has a bit of variation, but at the end, they're talking about the same thing, that Jesus, um, you know, was ministering. He was ministering so powerfully that people just lost track of time. It was dark, and there are so many people, and the disciples come to him and say, there's no way we can feed them. There's no way they can eat, so we just have to send them. And Jesus takes the, he said, no, we're going to feed them, takes the bread and the fish, then it breaks and everybody gets fed, right? That's pretty much the whole story, and we've heard it many times and under many accounts. Now, let's talk about disciples, because I know we're talking about the Jesus miracle, but I want to talk about the disciples today. Now, a disciple is a follower slash student. Now, you guys are students in your class, but you guys don't follow your professors around for lunch and, you know, afternoon, and then dinner. you don't go home with your professors. I hope now that's weird. Um, you don't wake up with your professors. That's also weird. You know, you don't, you are a student, but you're not a follower. And that's the difference between just a student and a disciple, right? A disciple follows their rabbi, who is, you know, their Jewish teacher. And when you follow, as a disciple, you not just, you know, follow after them in their shadows, but you follow their lifestyle. So if you know a rabbi that just doesn't eat meat, he fasts meat for some reason, then you don't eat meat. Okay? That's just a rule. If you follow a rabbi that fasts totally on Wednesday, then you fast on Wednesdays. So you actually don't need to distinguish yourself with like a badge that I am the disciple of blah, 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 because your lifestyle you know, everybody knows by, just by looking at your lifestyle who your rabbi is, who you're, who you're following. Everybody get me? And so these disciples of Jesus, and when you say disciple, you, you usually only think about the 12 disciples, but every rabbi at that time had some kind of disciple. So if you're really popular, you had a really big group. If you weren't so popular, you had a very small group. But every rabbi had a disciple or disciples. And so if you look at the 12 disciples here, right? They know what they need to do, which means they not only follow, but try to emulate the life of Jesus. And they're not following Jesus because, um, oh, you know, he, 
he, you know, he seems like a cool person or he, oh, he said that he's a son of God. No, they, they, you don't follow somebody for the rest of your life because you think they're the son of God, right? You, you have conviction, you believe, so you're going to follow every step and say, I'm going to emulate my life to Jesus. Now, I, I know they don't know what we know, as in the whole crucifixion thing and raising back to life and, you know, how, you know, Jesus' power and resurrection still is strong right now and working in us and all that. But at that time, it still must be a tall order to follow. To follow Jesus, not just routine-wise, but in lifestyle. So when you look at a life of a disciple, they're not just copying the life of their rabbi. What they're doing is they are laying down their lifestyle and picking up another one, right? They're not making any compromises because, you know, I, I kind of want to, but I don't really. But what they have to do, this is, this is a big decision. Not everybody's a disciple, by the way. When you choose to be a disciple, you lay down the lifestyle you have totally, completely to pick up the lifestyle of your rabbi. So this is where the disciples are right now. So this is not the first miracle, the feeding the 5,000 thing. This is not the first miracle. So by this time, you have to understand that Jesus' disciples have been been following him. And they've been witnessing miracles after miracles. They've been hearing teachings and their mind is being blown like everybody else's. And so if you think about like, they were with Jesus when he turned water into wine. And they tasted it. It was like, oh, it's really wine, Right? And when Jesus healed uh, uh, the official son, they watched the son get up, who was dead, by the way, get up and walk around, right? When Jesus was telling the parable of the sower and the mustard seed, they were with everybody else. Like, they were sitting with you guys, not up here, but they were, like, sitting with you guys and just in awe. Like, what did he say about the mustard seed? That is crazy. As much as they were a disciple and they've chosen this lifestyle, they're learning and experiencing miracles like everybody else. Why? Because it's never been done before. We can think that they were sitting there being like, hey, yeah, I heard about this parable. You know, you should probably listen to it. You really need to listen to it, you know. Or like, oh, yeah, this miracle, I've seen it before. So you need to just wait until the end. It gets really good at the end. Everything that Jesus has done for them And with the ministry they were carrying together, it was the first time they've ever seen it. So they're shocked as much as anybody else. They're moved like anybody else, right? And their mindsets are being blown like everybody else's. They're not that different from everybody else that they were following. But the thing is, when we get to this miracle, until we get here, there's something that shifts, something that changes about Jesus' miracle. Up until now, it's a one-man show. He lays hands and they get healed, right? He calls out the sick. He, you know, speaks powerful words. Uh, I'm sure the disciples are helping. I'm sure they're being really helpful, you know, you know, I don't know, bringing the sick if they can't walk and, hey, you know, making sure, taking care of all the treasury stuff, the money's flowing and there's no deficit and all that stuff. But up until now, Jesus never really invited them into a miracle, but if you look at it here in verse 15, it says this. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the day is now over. Send the crowds away and go into the village and buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, They need not go away. You give them something to eat. 
in the Luke version, he just says, you give him something to eat. He's like, the, the disciples are like, well, what do we do? And Jesus basically is like, what do you want to do? Right? He's basically making an invitation for the first time for the disciples to have an active role in a miracle. So the disciples at that moment looked around. And basically, there was not even a village, not even a restaurant, not even like a GS25 in the corner to like get something. And they just know that where they are, there is no way to feed these people. And not only that, but they are talking about like, they're basically saying, we can't, and I don't really want to feed them. There's just so many people here. Like, this is, this is, you are crazy. Why are you asking us to feed them when you definitely know we can't, right? And, you know, when I was preparing for this message, I, uh, I was telling Tina, I was like, man, you know, I'm excited, but I feel like it's going to be a little bit different than just a message. And I'm not saying it's going to be like, I don't know, like a show per se, but I think I just need you guys to hear me out for a second. I've been here for about, you know, I've been with Emmaus for four years and I told you, I don't, I don't have favorites, but like Emmaus is my favorite. And, um, and, uh, out of Emmaus, like Yonsei is my favorite. So I can't, I can't, I can't really hide that. I just love this campus. I just do. And, um, I know most of you guys don't know me. And I know some of you guys have a personal relationship with me. And I know for some of you, it doesn't matter that I've been here with Emmaus for four years. This is your first semester here. But I want you to see me as like your Yonsei Emmaus aunt. You don't know me very well, but I have a heart for you like you don't know. Okay? And when I was praying for you guys, I felt this. I felt like you guys are the disciples at this point. Where God has... You have seen the miracles. You have heard the teaching. You have experienced what needs to be experienced. You have gotten what needs to be got. And God is asking you, you go feed them. What are you going to do? I'm inviting you. I'm making an invitation for you. What are you going to do? Because he's taking you from a life of passive participation to active contributor. That's what's happening right now. Because it's been, what, three-fourths into the semester? A little bit around there? And when Jesus says, you go feed them, the disciples are very confused. The disciples come to him with numbers, right? They say, I, we only have five loaves, of fi- five loaves of bread, two fish. And in the account of John, they say, it actually costs 200 denarii to feed all these people, Jesus. And 200 denarii is two days full day's worth of wages. They're saying, we don't have the food, we don't have the funds, we can't do this. So they're coming at Jesus with numbers, accounting, right? They're saying clearly and plainly, there's nothing to be done. But what does Jesus say? He says, give it to me. Give me what you have, right? Because see, sometimes Jesus tells you to do something like, you give them something to eat, He tells you, live a life without any compromise. Be set apart in this world. Be strong and courageous. And oftentimes our response is, but all I have are five loaves of bread and two fish. That's all I have. He's calling you to a life where it's not just about you. It's not just about the small community around you. But it's about blessing thousands. And the first thing you tell him is, I only have this many 
of this, and it's definitely not enough. Wouldn't you say, Jesus? Can you argue with me, Jesus, that five bread, two fish is going to feed 5,000 plus people? You know, and the funny thing is we have this strange attachment to what's in our hands. Um, And I say strange because uh, what we have in our hands, it could be money, the very physical thing like money. Or it could be your aspirations. It could be your dreams, right? It could be the accomplishments that you've already made. It could be the things that people have said to you, good ways and bad. It could be the things that you believe in yourself. Whatever you hold dear in your hands, and you always know what you hold dear in your hands when, um, when a crisis happens in your life, right? Because you automatically go to it first, that's always a good test to know what you're, tr- uh, what you're trusting in. When you're hitting a crisis, where and to what do you go to first? All these things you have in your hands, and we have a strange relationship with them, because when God asks you, you feed them, the first thing you say is, oh, this is so little. I have nothing to offer you. But at the same time, you feel like this is all I have. Do you see the difference? Where you, where you make things so small that this is all I have. And the other side is, this is everything I have. It's the same thing, but you have this dual conversation with God, right? In the first conversation, you say, "Um, God, I'm only one person with limited capabilities, so what can I give to you? The other conversation you have is, God, this is all I have, and it's not so easy to give up to you. Think about the disciples. I know it's only five loaves of bread and two fish, right? But to them, they're going to Jesus, this is all we have. How how can we feed? How can we feed the 5,000? But on the other hand is, this is all we have to eat. If you give this away, then what are we going to eat? Do you see the duality of what you have in your hands and how you see it? Sometimes you treat it as so precious, like I can't give it away. But the other ones, it's so little that I can't give it away. You can't give it away for one reason or the other. Thanks. If we continue with the story, the disciples hand over what they had into Jesus' hands. And what did he say he did? He said he took it into his hands, he blessed it, he broke it, and as the disciples were giving away the food, he kept breaking it, breaking the bread, breaking the fish. Until they realize, not only is everybody full, but we have leftovers. Twelve baskets full. So here's where the challenge comes from. You ready? I I feel the fear. Are you ready? Bring it. All right, here we go. Can you give all that you have, no matter how big or small, into Jesus' hands? Can you watch him bless it and break it in front of you? Because when Jesus says, go forward and be a blessing to the people around you and make a difference in the world in my name, can you give up what's in your hands to do so? And I'm not just speaking to the ones that are struggling with sin and sin patterns. I'm not, I'm, not ta- I'm not just talking to the people that haven't been to church in a while and been living like a lifestyle that you probably want to tell your mama about. Okay, I'm not only preaching to those people, 
But even to those who have been faithfully going out to church, who have been faithful living a life, you still have things in your hands. And God says, I, I want to have them and bless it and break it. Could you give it to me? If I say that you are called to bless nations, could you give it what's in your hands? Because sometimes we have all these great ideas for ourselves. Because sometimes we have all these great aspirations for ourselves, but it means nothing until we give it to the hands of Jesus. It means nothing until we let it go and place it into his hands. Whether you entrust something of yours, whether it's your dreams and aspirations, insecurities and failings, your broken hearts and your hardened hearts, if you place it in the hands of Jesus, he will first bless it and then break it. Because see, you gotta check this out. This thing that you have placed in your Jesus' hands, and when you place it into Jesus' hands, it's not gonna come back to you how you first placed it. It's not gonna come back to you looking like the same thing as you first placed it. It's not. It's just how he works. But it's going to multiply and it's going to bless thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Can you handle it? Can you handle watching Jesus taking what you have into your hands and breaking it? Can you handle watching your dreams and your aspiration? You put it into Jesus' hands and you say, I trust you, God. And he breaks it in front, of your, in front of your very eyes. And you don't even recognize what you put into his hands in the first place. Can you handle what you held so dear being broken apart like that? Because every time I say break, 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 break. I see your heart's like, oh, break, 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 break. <laughs> oh, it's like, I know what she's preaching about. Oh, I know where she's going. Do you? I don't know. Do you? Because when I say break, I know it sounds really harsh. And in the Greek, it says actually breaking violently. <laughs> the word means breaking violently. And another version, it says uh, breaking with your teeth. Like he's like, you know. But sometimes the things that you put in God's hands have been so toughened by our fear by our, by our willingness to hold it for so tightly into our hands for so long, that it needs a little violent breaking, is what I'm saying. But like I said, it's not going to multiply until it's broken. And it's not going to get broken until you place it into his hands. And another thing is, he blesses before he breaks it. He blesses before he breaks it. Which means this, he understands the sacrifice you had to make to put it into his hands. He's not saying, oh, that's cute. Oh, you want to be a doctor. That's, that's really cute. Oh, you want to be a pastor. That's even cuter. <laughs> Good job. Um, when he says, I'm, I bless it, it means he recognizes it. He recognizes the dreams that you have. He recognizes the fear and the disappointments that you have. He recognizes the things that you're holding so tightly into your hands and the things that you're carrying as substance for yourself and for your life and for your spiritual growth. He understands how strong of a hold it was in your life, and he understands. That's why he says he blesses it. A blessing is a recognition of God into the, uh, into the situation. He said he looked up. He recognized God and said, this is what we have, God. This is what we have, Father. 
and, I, you play, and as your disciples, as your children placed into my hands, I bless it. The reason why I keep saying, to keep talking about the blessing part is that a lot of people have the fear of blessing. And a, a fear that once it's blessed, it's going to be broken. Because isn't that why a lot of people don't live a life fully out for God? It's because you, you've heard those stories about that missionary that gave up everything and then lived in another country. And that scares you more than it inspires you. You, t- you hear about, you know, <laughs> you hear about people who have had broken relationships with their family because they chose to follow God and their family was against it. And that scares you more than it inspires you. But like I said, this is supposed to be a challenging word because you guys are ready to be challenged. And I know, like I said, you guys don't know me, some of you. And I know some of you guys don't know, you know, why, why is she being so hard? <laughs> Dang. You know, about breaking and the breaking and the breaking. But like I said, I, I don't think God would have prepared me to give you this message if you weren't ready. You guys are at like a tipping point. This is what I feel. You guys are at a tipping point. Your staff... Your uh, campus director, the people that have been praying for this ministry, you guys have, you guys are like saturated, as in you guys are the perfect place for tipping. But you can't get to get over that tipping point until someone like, you know, like pushes you over, (laughs) right? All this teaching, all these miracles, everything that you have known and you have heard about, it means nothing until it multiplies and blesses people. And you can't let it do that to your life until you give it up. You have to give it up. You have to put in the hands of Jesus because he's asking. You, you find a way to feed these people. You find a way to be a blessing to the nation. You find a way to bring breakthrough to your family. You can do it. It's in your hands. So like we said about the duality of what's in your hands, right? You feel like it's nothing, but then it's everything. He understands that. He said it's nothing. You understand that it's so small sometimes compared to what the world is going through. But it is everything that you have worked for. Are you guys ready for the challenge? Because we have a retreat coming up in three days. Three days. I know. Three days. We have a retreat coming up in three days. And even if you're not going to the retreat, this word is still for you. And I'll explain why later as well. Um, But we have a retreat coming up in three days. And for those of you guys who are going, you guys need to prepare yourself for a huge breakthrough in your life. What a waste to go to a retreat for four days and then have nothing to come out of it, right? What a waste of your time, of the, you know, the new Philly size time, the people recording. What, what a waste. And to those who have been going to church for a long time, what's in your hands? And to those who are still coming back to God and still finding a way to God, still the same question, what's in your hands? What is in your hands? That is so precious but so small at the same time. And you know, to the ones that are not going to the retreat, you know why this word is very important for you? It's because the Christian journey is a journey for a reason. It's not a short sprint. It's not something that we do on a Sunday. It's something that it, it, it should involve our entirety of our lives until the day we die. And then until we go to heaven and worship God for eternity. And you can't do that until you have this understanding that the things that you have in your hands will never sustain you. The things that you hold in your hands will not comfort you. And the things that you hold in your hands so dearly needs to be given up to Jesus. And you know, 
I have friends that are in, you know, staff here. You know, they, I know everybody, but some of them I've been running with for a long time. And you see them minister, you see them talk to you guys at Familia, and you're blown away by the wisdom that they carry. You're blown away by the authority that they have, and you're blown away by the precision as they pray, and you're like, wow, one day, one day I'll get there. And they're great. They're great at what they do. But can I tell you, they did not get here because they chose to hold on to things for themselves. For some of them, I know their life personally, and they've had specific moments where they came to this point when Jesus said, you go feed them, and what you have in your hands can feed them. And they had to give it up into the hands of Jesus, and they watched Jesus bless it, break it to a point that it's not even recognizable, and to be multiplied, to feed you guys. To feed you guys. You know, when we first started, when I first started in ministry four, four years ago, um, we filled maybe three rows, maybe not even, like right here. Downstairs and B101, so it looked even smaller, right? And we, and at that point, I was like, whoa, we made it. <laughs> we made it, y'all. We got like 50 people, maybe 50 people on a good day. We got people coming out. That's, this is good. But you have to understand that this ministry was built on people that made sacrifices for you guys. That made decisions on that day and said, I'm going to lay it down for Jesus. And I'm going to lay it down because when I lay it down into his hands, it's going to multiply. And yeah, it's not going to look like the thing that I put into his hand the first time. But it's going to multiply and it's going to bless. Are you ready to have the things in your hands not just bless you, not just bless you and maybe the person next to you, but to bless people in thousands? Because when I see out here, like I said, you guys are great worshipers. You guys worship really well. When I see out here, you guys are game changers in this country. You guys are game changers for the countries that you guys belong to. You guys are game changers as in what God has put in you is so special. The work that God has done in you, even this semester and the semesters before, it's special. Not just for you, but the places that you belong to. The workplaces that you're going to be working in. The family that you belong to that desperately needs the light of Jesus. I'm coming to you because you guys need to recognize that what you have in your hands is good, but needs to multiply. It's time to multiply. But like I said, God can't multiply it until he breaks it, and he can't break it until he blesses it, and he can't bless it until you place it into his hands. He asked the disciples, you give them something to eat. He did not, you know, say, uh, open your bag, let, let, me see, let me see in there, or, or, or just grabbing things out of people's hands. He did not do that. He asked, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Because whatever you have, it's good enough. Whatever you can bring me, it's good enough. Because it's going to be my blessing upon it. But like I said, he's not going to take it away from your hands out of force. He's asking you, what do you have? What do you have? What do you carry so dearly into your heart? Let me invite the worship team up.